Boston in looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Top shirt final, JCM Jones from the Mothership and Dirty Saw Soccer. Joe Patrick from Knights Point on the game and Dirty Saw Soccer and the Mothership sometimes as well is over there. And Joe, we're here to talk about what's on everyone's mind and what we really just want to dive straight into. Uh, the, the Braves can't get the bats going. Uh, yeah, DeGrom, man. He, unbelievable. <sighs> He's unreal. Unreal. And then you just you, you give up a softball to Jonas Espedes and then just ruins the whole day, man. Ruins the whole day. Uh, other than that, I'm all right. That'll about. be it. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. All. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, play more yeah. Julian Baker what? as we get out of here. Um, yeah, okay, yeah look, for sure. We can dick around with this banter all we want, but uh, Frank's gone. Um, so we have to talk about that. We have to talk about that. Uh, we also have to take a moment and take really, hmm, I don't know, an entire podcast to pat ourselves on the back for uh, <laughs> kind of nailing this kind of nailing this um we we had a long and we thought well thought help podcast uh, uh h dad whatever the fuck um a few days ago where we kind of laid out our, our theses on, on why things were struggling and what might be the potential outcomes of those and um yeah folks we nailed that we nailed that um i think what yeah, I the mean, surprise is is that it happened so quickly don't want to be dancing on any graves here. I do want to say off the top, I just want to like kind of caveat that when we have a discussion here today, um, none of it's personal against Frank, but we, I think no. we need to be having, we have to have an honest conversation about the status of this team right now, which is just in complete disarray. Um, you know, some of the things that happened in that game on Tuesday are just like so beyond the pale um, for what is acceptable for a pro soccer team. And like, just like the way that things went down in that game. I think a lot of people were kind of surprised that it happened so soon and saying that I've, you know, I've heard like, you know, wow, it's very surprising to fire a coach after three bad performances, but um, the performances got progressively worse in my opinion from the first game to the last (laughs) game, which is never what you want to see. And that, I think that kind of indicates um, some, breakdown that's happening whether it's the communication coming from the coach or the players aren't picking it up or they just don't like the coach whatever the reason is there is some sort of disconnect there and then also during that game we saw a couple things one was obviously the Carlos Bocanegra talking to Jeff Lorenowitz on the touchline like that was not something that is normal or like cool to see Uh (laughs) it's not like uh like Look at our look at our technical director being so hands on. <laughs> and, and and I have to kind of giggle at a, a a tweet from a friend of the show, Julian Sakovitz, who was like, oh, this is cool. And like yeah, I initially yeah. like looked at it and was like, yeah, no, that is cool. That's that's interesting. And then I thought about it more and went wait, Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. And then honestly, what was almost more or just on that same level of concern to me was Franco Escobar in that game. To me, that looked like a guy that was like trying to get himself sent off. And Frank eventually pulled him off the field. Like he, he, he subbed him out because he was just mouthing off to the ref. Especially, oh, you know, after, that. <laughs> you don't think so. I mean, we could disagree on this, but yeah, like, I think we can. Um, I think maybe, 
you know, subconsciously things kind of boil over and maybe you get frustrated with things more than you normally would in those kind of situations. It might be a little bit of a stretch to say that he was out there, I don't know, trying to trying to get bodies so he can get sent off as a F you to Frank. If you want to say F you to Frank, what you do, Joe Patrick, is you go to a training session and then walk off the field. Yeah. So uh, I think we had talked about somebody in the uh, replies to when we asked for questions for the show today, which we will get to in the second half, um, asked about say, saying that I had mentioned a story that I wouldn't tell until Frank left. And uh, I, I'm having trouble now remembering what I was thinking about at the time when I said that. But that would definitely be one of them that I had mm-hmm. heard. Um, never got it confirmed, which is why I didn't want to spread it because um, I wasn't sure if it was true or not. Only, you know, we only had one source that was telling us that, but uh, did hear that there was a walk off. Yeah. On the, as Felipe reported, uh, Felipe and Paul Tenorio, I should say, both reported that story out yesterday that was published yesterday in The Athletic um, that, uh, yeah, Pitti had walked off the field that day. And that and also what I heard is that it is not the first time something like that had happened. Obviously, again, in that story, Joseph had uh, he re- mm-hmm. those two had reported that Joseph had done something similar. And uh, yeah, so not great vibes going into that tournament. (laughs) And again, so I want to go back to uh, I asked Jeff, we talked about this in the last show, but I asked Jeff after that Cincinnati game about passion. Kind of when I had this in the back of my head, I was trying to ask the players questions that were kind of maybe allowing them access to vent about the situation if they wanted Mm -hmm. to broach it without kind of talking about it directly, obviously. And what I, I do want to clarify something when I asked Jeff about passion, it was not about like, is, is the team giving the work rate that you expect on the field or are they trying to me? It was when, like when I hear about passion, uh, I think of that word in the context of the way Mauricio Pochettino would talk about it because I'm a Tottenham fan. Obviously, he was the coach at Spurs for a long time. And when he would talk about passion, he would talk about it in the sense of having a passion for the game is having that feeling when you're playing that you feel like you're 10 years old and you're just enjoying yourself. And that's what he would always say. Enjoy. He want he wants his player to enjoy the game and you drill the players on tactics and that kind of thing during training. So that when you get into a game situation, you're not concerned about that and you actually feel free and you can enjoy yourself and just feel that passionate sense of playing soccer when you get out there. And I think that that to me felt like it was missing from Atlanta United and it feels quite frankly, like it's been missing for a long time. I think we saw some of that passion come back into the team in that second half of the season last year, but it never felt like when, uh, you know, when Frank was trying to really drill into these guys, what he wanted from them, that they were understanding it and could actually have that passion when they went out on the field. Yeah. The only time this team has been successful under Frank was when Frank was not doing Frank things. And yeah. that, that's that's kind of the bottom line, you know, and that's something that people really kind of need to come keep coming back to. If you if you really, really, really want to be like we won Campionas Cup and the Open Cup and like really put that as like a cementing thing in your mind as, as a Frank's success. Um, OK, sure. <laughs> but keep in mind that a lot of that came on the end of Joseph Martinez screaming at him from the bench in Seattle and, you know him essentially acquiescing to a player revolt that kind of forced these tactics kind of on him more than anything, you know? Um, so yeah. I don't know, but well, keep that can, in mind. Keep it in mind. And guys. I, I want to talk about the Campionas cup for a second and the trophies. Um, Frank DeBoer won two trophies. That is 
an absolute fact cannot be denied. Those sure. those trophies are in the cabinet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is also a fact is that one of those trophies was one game. Like you just play a game, and if you win it, you get a trophy. So, and it I was against like to- a team. It was against a team that was still finishing their preseason. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that Club America was treating that game as a preseason game, but they were still in the struggles that teams have. Every team has early in the season when you're trying to get a new group of players together and that kind of thing. So and I want to say also that that Campionis game cup game was super fun. It was like an amazing night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'll never forget that feeling of like it literally being like a 50-50 crowd um, mm-hmm. and it, and that kind of galvanizing everybody. And it was just like a super emotional night. And one, one of the nights that I enjoyed at Mercedes-Benz Stadium last year the most. Um, and I'm glad that they got to lift a trophy for it, but it was one game. Uh-huh. The other trophy, the other fact is the other trophy was won uh-huh. by defeating the Charleston Battery. Uh-huh. The Columbus Crew, who finished 10th yes. in the East. St. Louis FC, also uh-huh. from USL. Orlando City, who finished uh-huh. 11th in the East. And then a home game against Minnesota United. So we just, like, when we talk about the two trophies, we need to understand that those are the facts behind those two trophies and then take everything else into context as well. Absolutely. I, well, I, the people who talk about the Campionis Cup, I want to challenge each and every one of them to name the starting lineup from that night because I bet they can do it. <laughs> I bet they they don't remember who was, you know, was which backups were playing that night, you know, because there were yeah. there were a handful. There were a handful. Dion Pereira got, Dion Pereira. got the start in, in mm-hmm. the Campionas Cup final. Incredible. I mean, again, I don't I don't I don't want to downplay anything about it in terms of like how special it was. And I I remember it feeling like a legitimate big deal after they had beaten them because you know, no MLS team had really beaten in uh, a Liga MX team in those kinds of circumstances. But we just have to take it for what it is, you know. And so I think that that's important. When, like, because when, honestly, like, what when you talk about a team winning two trophies, you think like there's a big difference between Campionas Cup and U.S. Open Cup and MLS Cup and CCL. <laughs> you know, two right. trophies can span a very wide range of success. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know. You can maybe look at the the best probably the best indication that Frank was at least a little bit successful last year and in general was the Atlanta did finish second in the east there was 56 mm-hmm. points but i don't know is that your is that where you want this team is that like the standard you want 56 points and you know getting lapped by LAFC and you know getting close to MLS Cup but still not getting there and even to that is is small sample size you know you had to win a couple games there um so i don't know man it's it's hard to really gauge whether or not this was a success at all just based on two random trophies. Am I wrong? <laughs> I think we need to acknowledge like the way the team, the, the the team's form at the end of the season last year was good. I mean, what what was interesting was that the team was able to change shape mid game, which I think that Frank DeBoer should probably get some credit for, um, that that was like that that was like their hallmark at the end of the year last year was the fact that he could change shape and uh, remember he did it in that in the uh, last game of the season against New England Revolution where he like went from a back three to a back four uh, mid game without having to to make any substitutions and that was yeah like I said that was like kind of the hallmark for this team and then he talked about it in the games after this uh, I can't remember if it was I guess it was after the Columbus game the Crew game where they got knocked out saying that the team was not capable of that right now. And um, 
I just think what we've seen from this team this season in 2020 is a marked difference in them not being able to play without Darlington Nagby. And like to me, mm. a coach should be able to solve that situation because there's only one Darlington Nagby. Other teams have to play without Darlington Nagby too. <laughs> um, but this team never seemed capable of doing that. And that was always a problem that was always going to be on the cards. That was always going to be something that needed a solution. And whatever Frank's solution for that was, we never really saw it. And again, I don't know if that's the players not being able to understand what he wanted from them. I don't know if that's Frank not having the best understanding of how to direct his players tactically, but that was an issue that never got solved. I, I wrote something very similar in, uh, for the mothership about how every other team also didn't have Joseph Martinez, but still managed to at least score a goal. Right. You know, right. But, which I think is is not unfair at all. Um, it was weird. Also, that, in that same article, I kind of did a, a bit about the problems with this team and, and kind of ran through it and said, well, actually, no, Joseph's not here, but also you have to have players that are good, but also you have to be able to coach the players. And it was just kind of this infinite loop of problems with this team, which I think kind of gets at it. But to make the step of at least addressing one of them, Right. At least addressing maybe maybe a handful at a time, honestly, with with culture issues, with tactical issues and making that step. It's a it's a statement at the very least from Atlanta United that, you know, you, you have no tolerance for for mediocrity, if that makes sense. Right. So when you get to that level, at least they, they've shown that they aren't going to sit there and wallow in it. You know, maybe that should have happened sooner, but at least they they did it now you know they they made it a decisive movement to do something yeah totally agree i think that we we've kind of talked about this a little bit before we got on air on the show but that was i think the most surprising thing was that they actually took the drastic measures that i think we both agreed in the last show uh we said were were very much needed from this team um you know i would i would push back on one thing in that uh the way you phrase it was settled for mediocrity. Like, I don't think this team was mediocre. I think they were just straight up terrible, like, <laughs> like really bad. Like, okay, that was a, that was an atrocious showing from a team that we've, we've criti- criticized the roster rebuild and the talent that's on this roster. But the talent that on, that's on this roster to me is still a top half in the top half of MLS. Like this team yes. is still dealing with good players. They may not be as good as they once were, but they're still good. And there's no reason this team should have not scored a goal over three games. Um, looked terrible also against Copa America, as Brad Guzan mentioned after they had gotten knocked out. Like this has mm-hmm. just been an absolute an absolute like shit show from this team that should not be looking like this at this stage. And I know that it's early in the season, but Frank DeBoer has been working with a lot of these players for a long time. And the fact that there's still not somebody in the squad that can help him translate some of the ideas he has to this new group of players that have come in is super concerning. And I think that that's why we you eventually saw him get released yeah. or part way mutually parted ways, we should say. Well, it's just a, you look around the league at other teams who who have an identity and who have, you know, a, a consistent and clear vision of what they need to do. And one of those teams right now was Orlando City. And Orlando mm-hmm. City has a brand new coach. And Orlando City is Orlando City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, for sure. And that that continues to be one of the most indicting things for me uh, about this, about all of this, you know, Um 
it just it just became a mess. It just became a mess on a huge scale. And I wonder how many more chances the people in charge get. You know, they made this decision, right? And obviously, it protects them a little bit to to make that decision now. You know, because you can put a large brunt of the blame on on that person if you get rid of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if they miss again. They aren't going to get that chance. This is it. You know, they, they have to get this next thing right. I think the next manager that they hire will be really telling as to what lessons they've learned from all this. And I think, it will, you know, it'll be very telling as to like what kind of profile manager they feel like they need. Like, that's what we'll see. And we'll see if that's the right decision as well. But I think that we will learn some things just based on whoever the new manager is. Is it a South American guy? Is it a European guy who's like more structured? Uh, Alan Pardew, who was spotted at the West. Oh my God! <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not calling again. for Alan Pardew, but remember, <laughs> remember the days when he was a, a candidate mm-hmm. for this job, reportedly. Um, although Alan Pardew definitely seems like one of those guys who will be like put himself and throw his name in the hat for any job that comes up. But uh, <laughs> I think I think it'll be telling as to who they hire. Um, Man, obviously it'll be something. One, they're going to be. Attack minded, right? Like they got to get back to that. They got to so. get, back. yeah. yeah. They got to get back to to winning games four three against San Jose, right? Like that's got to be somewhat at least a possibility. Um, and then you've got to have a dude who can not walk through the day pissing off everybody in some way or another. <laughs> you know, um, the, I, so God. I I, I want to repeat something that I told you in Slack. Um, and if anybody here watches Survivor. You won't pick up on this. I think to me, the impression I get that the players of like something that that fed into the players opinion of Frank in Survivor, people get voted off, not necessarily because they're asking people to go get firewood or, or being um, a controlling figure in the camp. But it's like the way you tell somebody to go get firewood, you know, it's it's the vibe that you give in the camp and i feel like frank is one of those guys just to me again in my observation of him where he's not like really that aware of what he like kind of the presence he's emitting he's kind of like very demanding and um it's just like i can totally see why that would rub people the wrong way yeah it's and, not and a he got hard, voted off the island and he got voted off the island <laughs> torch gone all that kind of thing no it's, it's not hard to kind of you know even just look at the press conferences and, and see you know totally. why there were communication issues danger to the team like you can phrase that in a way that is not going to piss pity the hell off you know or you can mm-hmm. just not say it at all and tell them you know keep that behind closed doors the They're fans just are like, spoiled things like that it, totally. and it kept popping up over and over again and if it was popping up with us in the media in these limited interactions it was absolutely happening on the day-to-day times 10 you know yes. it was it was happening way worse yeah totally i don't it, think it, these were slip-ups to the media you know exactly Exactly. And that's kind of where, like, I kind of have to now we get to the point of the show where we applaud ourselves. Um, Just going back and looking at what we were saying when he first got here was pretty spot on in a lot of ways. I I kept calling him Dutch Lane Kiffin, which is mean, but I said it. Um, But, you know, um, they were clear from just reading everything. There were clear indications that, you know, he was a guy who lost locker rooms quickly. 
than when it happened. It happened really, really quickly. And people can talk about Crystal Palace not giving him time all they want and everything like that. But the, the biggest thing was that he did not have the players and the players did not like him. And when that happened here and it was apparent that it happened here, um, Atlanta maybe sat on their hands longer than they should have, honestly. Yeah, you can see why, like, why was it that he had his longest and best stretch as a manager at Ajax? Probably because he's dealing with a lot of young players who have come up through the academy who are just kind of used to that culture. I think there are like a lot of those kinds of things that play into why he had success there and why it wasn't able to translate to, you know, a place in Italy where it's like the culture is very strong. People are very emotive. Um and obviously Crystal Palace was just kind of a, a crap show from the beginning. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think you're right. I We were a little bit uh, different minded about him coming in. Like I always just wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt at, at every time and uh, and just advocate for people to give him more time because I just felt like, you know, with a new manager, it's just it is not a good luck to fire a manager after if he were to just come in, you fire him. What if he's hired in January, you fire him in what, May? Like mm-hmm. that, that's that's not a very very much not a good look for a club but it you know things were definitely off in those first few months like it was not it's not like everything was clicking but i always wanted to just say okay this is not the ideal version of of what he wants let's give him time to implement it and things did kind of get better over the course of the season but again what were those improvements down to probably a lot of the players kind of taking matters into their own hands. Like we, we have enough evidence of this now to assume that these, th- that this is what happened and that it wasn't that Frank and the players had a kumbaya and got together mm. and all of a sudden started, lo- started loving each other. And they all of a sudden started carrying out what Frank was directing them to do. It was more Frank just rolling with what kind of they wanted to do. And Frank had some, some contributed to that a little bit, I'm sure, but it was mainly a change in attitude from the team. They wanted to be more aggressive, press higher up the field, be more risky. And, um, Frank never seemed to want to. Yeah. Yeah. And have fun, (laughs) have that passion again. And you know, in their soccer and it's just a shame how it all kind of crumbled apart. I I still feel bad. I, cause I like Frank, like I hope he does well in his next gig, wherever he goes. Um, but it was just so clearly not working. I do want to backtrack on something I said, um, sure. Two minutes ago. Um, where I said that Atlanta may have sat on their hands a little too wrong. I'm, I'm thinking about it and now was the perfect time to actually, you know, get rid of him. If that makes sense. Um, the, the actual like real time to not have him be in charge of the team was at the beginning probably. But if you kind of take everything into account from when they hired him into what was going on, the current situation, everything like that now was probably the best possible time they could have made the move to, to get rid of the person that they brought in the first place. Uh, we can talk all day about who might've been brought in instead and how that would have worked. Um, it, it could have been GBS who's been equally dreadful that yeah. for the galaxy, you know? Uh, but you know, all considered, I think right now was the best time to, to do it. Cause you can't fire him after he almost gets to MLS cup and everything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they picked it, their spot. It's interesting to me that Atlanta United kind of it seemed as if they had narrowed down their search to a decision between Frank DeBoer and GBS, considering both these those managers had their most success at a club where it's not I don't want to say it's not competitive, but like 
at Ajax, you're the biggest club. You're expected to win. PSV might ch- will challenge you, but it's really kind of a two, three horse race, and you are the clear favorite. Very similar to with uh, Guillermo Barrascoloto at Boca Juniors, where it's like you're kind of battling it out with River Plate. Maybe uh, another team like Velez comes and sneaks in toward the top, but generally you're expected to, to win. And based on the resources that you have, the reason you're expected to win is because you have way more resources than any other team. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that Atlanta United kind of narrowed it down to these two. It's kind of like the argument of like rings, baby. Like that's like the the the... <laughs> The, be, the 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 biggest thing on the credential that will get you the job as opposed to um a, a lot of what we were talking about in the last show about the style and like the the character that that a manager's team show and that's kind of what's missing and it seems like Atlanta United over the last couple of years has pivoted from being fun and exciting and a joy to watch to being centered around winning and results and that kind of a thing it seems like the manager search focused on that as well as a uh, along with the way that the team has generally been marketed well yeah it kind of goes back to this idea of the brand kind of changing right mm-hmm. and and the brand that you kind of bring in with frank DeBoer's international manager who has you know incredible playing career and has won things and that was like a it was a clout move and that continues to be a problem, not only with the coaching choices, but the player choices as well. You bring in PT Martinez, who is South American player of the year. Um, even when the analytics from people like to go to football and probably Lucy Rushton, if I had mm-hmm. to guess. Sure. She's show- got the same information that he does. Exactly. Are showing that he's not in the top tier of really any level of player in, in Argentina or anything like that, you know, he was not a big um, chance. He was not a big chance creator or at least creator of good chances. He was not a creator of great. He wouldn't get in great goal scoring opportunities. He would score goals from distance that were low percentage shots. Mm-hmm. Those things are great on YouTube and they get fans really excited when you score those kinds of goals and you get hot. Um, but yeah, the underlying statistics weren't there, like you said. And so you make that move anyway, you know, because yeah. it's, it's going to look huge, right? You, you get this guy that's just, you know, shown with one of the biggest clubs in, in South America. And, you know, it doesn't have the same impact as someone that may be more effective. Like, you know, like you look at Kansas City with Alan Polito and, you know, or Lucas Elleron and, and Columbus or Pizuelo or any of those other guys who are more effective, better players, but don't have the name recognition. And it was also a departure from what we'd seen in this team's DP purchases, purchases before that in the age. He was... 26, I want to say, when he was bought, mm-hmm. uh, Pity, as opposed to Ezekiel Barco, 18, Miguel Almiron, 22 or 23, Joseph, I think it was 23 as well. Um, those that was kind of you know the the mo of the way that the team was going to use these DP spot spots was to get young players, develop them for two or three years, sell them on for a profit, right? And mm-hmm. Pity. maybe they were thinking that he could be a guy that he was just going to come into MLS kill it and they'd be able to sell them after one year it was it was just a curious change in in um in the mo and uh now he is 28 and not performing well in mls what team what european team is going to want to come in and buy pity martinez right now so now atlanta united i don't want to say like stuck with him makes it sound like he's this weight on Atlanta United, which I do, which I don't think he is. I think he can still contribute to this team and be a key part of them 
winning, but he's not a sellable asset right now, which Atlanta United probably would like him to be because, you know, these DP spots are also opportunity costs. Like if having a DP occupy a DP spot is also preventing you from buying a DP that you might want to get. So um, they're in a tricky situation with him now. And I think that they only have themselves to kind of uh, they, they don't have any excuses because they they were the ones who consciously made that decision and they're gonna have to live with it it's so strange to just lose the ethos of the club you know um because like at, at its heart i think i think this entire organization is represented by Darren Neal's going out and like dressing in a stupid costume and being like at a pub on christmas day you mm-hmm. know like you used to see all the time right before this team even really even had a name Mm-hmm. You know, that that was kind of the heart of it. And then all of a sudden it turned into, you know, we're, we're the biggest club, which means that we have to consistently be, you know, making a splash and everything like that. And it, it kind of ruined the didn't ruin it, just set back in a, in a big way. The the things that made it enjoyable in the first place, you know, and brought those people in. I mean, it's an understandable mistake. You know, you kind of keep building on things and building on things and it's not an illogical conclusion to come to, but it was the wrong one. Yeah. And how it relates to, the, again, to the style of play being fun as opposed to focused on winning. I'll never forget the, that first game, the Atlanta United's first game in MLS history against Rebels, when Miguel Almiron tried to chip Luis Robles. <laughs> and that was like the most exciting thing and absolutely the wrong thing to do if he actually wanted to just like make sure he scored the goal. And of course, mm-hmm. Atlanta United went on to lose that game 2-1. But everybody left that game feeling like, holy shit, that was so fun. This team is fast and exciting. And if Miguel Almiron had scored that chip, I think Bobby Dodd may have come crumbling down. Broken down, down man. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like emblematic of what the team was. And I really hope they can get back to that because I don't feel like they've been that ever um, under under Frank DeBoer. Which is why you bring in Matias Almeida. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, gosh, there's so many things that I feel like we've just kind of beat over the head a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but it is it is interesting to see a lot of the things kind of come out culture wise, you know, and I, I do kind of want to get into Felipe's piece a little bit. Um, we kind of mentioned the walkouts and everything like that. Um, and, and that's telling, that's telling that's what, and that's what we kind of tried to communicate last week, um, without maybe some of the anecdotes. Cause again, we couldn't really confirm them. Um, but to see those anecdotes pop up now and to be like, okay, look, this wasn't just about results. And there are a lot of people who are like on the subreddit and still looking at results and everything like that. And even those are, those are fine. You know, we, we've kind of got into that, but, um, it, it really was broken at the core of this thing um and when that happens you know you got to make a change and i'm very glad that the front office didn't sit on their hands with it um i will say that like sometimes you may look into things a little too much maybe um felipe's piece is very good it's very well reported uh he's obviously been collecting the antidotes with with norio uh over the last year and a half or so um, but i'll say things that like the team cheering a goal against Ajax. Well, we all cheered that goal against Ajax. You know, <laughs> uh, Joe Patrick nearly tackled me when Spurs scored that third goal against Ajax. Um, so maybe like, you know, 
when things are bad, you kind of look for those confirmations of, of very bad things. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to see a lot of those, I think, as more things start to come out. Like, you know, um, but you do kind of have to like be measured about what was actually a bad thing and what was actually those people celebrating, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Leandro Gonzalez Perez, I know that he's buddies with Eric Lamella. They both kind of came up at River Plate. Eric Lamella was at Tottenham. I don't know if he played in that game, but it would give you a natural reason to want to root for that team. Um, and if LGP is rooting for Tottenham, you know, probably the other South American guys on Atlanta United are going to be rooting, rooting for Tottenham, <laughs> especially considering they had an Argentine coach. So, you know, there are lots of reasons why that could have happened. I will say that if if it was what was insinuated uh, in the article that they were doing it intentionally to troll Frank, like that's a terrible look by the players and they should be ashamed of themselves. Like if that is true, I don't know if it's true. I, I, like again, I wasn't there, but like that is that's just like that's like a personal <laughs> dick thing to do. I don't know. It, 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 not good. That's not a good look. I guess. I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> I've seen the same sentiment on like Reddit and things like that. And like, if you ever worked a really bad summer job where the boss is really terrible, you know, like maybe yeah. in high school, you know, like you're with your friends and like every single conversation is centered around how much of a dick that guy is. Like every single one, <laughs> you know? Um, sure. And so from a certain perspective, I can kind of understand like any, any chance to give that human shit is like it's like they're gonna take it um i don't i don't know how shameful it is when you know um the entire culture was was gone anyway you know i guess i guess it's just disturbing to me because like these players and the manager should be on the same side you know like they shouldn't have that adversarial relationship with one another to me it's no no different than if brad guzan was dutch and watching in another room and and they were doing that like um and I understand the relationship is a little bit different, but they're at the end of the day, they're both trying to win games. So if that was the case, I just do not think it's a it's a good look. I, I mean, I, I like yeah. you said, I, I understand the human emotion and um, and we troll people all the time, like <laughs> so uh, on Twitter and whatnot. But it is what it is. Who, who almost- knows if it's true? <laughs> Again, I kind of lean with you. I, I'm not yeah. I wouldn't be so sure that it's like it was a very intentional thing. I think we've made this bit or done this joke before but it's almost like you're not my real dad over and over again happening with that team especially in the first year with like leandro and everyone else you know just all of a sudden uh being really angsty about not having tata and so those kind of things are very much like a like a stepchild just being intentionally (laughs) (laughs) crappy towards the new (laughs) parent um you're not my dad exactly um that kind of thing but in their defense, you know, if you come in and and don't establish the culture and, and, and don't get things right, then the players are going to react to it. And that's what we got. That's what we got. Yeah, I've got nothing to add. I say we go to a break. What do you say? Let's do it. Before we get back into the show, did just want to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can check them out at lucidfc.us, not .com, but .us. And if you're new to the show and you're just kind of learning about Lucid FC, they're like a modern European fashion brand. They've got some really cool stuff. So I really do recommend everybody go to their website and check them out. Maybe the most interesting thing they have, though, is masks. You should, you should be interested in getting a mask. They've got some really cool ones. Um, they've got the, they're like the ones that form a special nasal passage, too, and it complements the face contours and has 
three layers, washable and reusable. So it's like the best mask you can possibly get. And of course, they're designed up all really cool so that you'll want to wear them. And the coolest part about it all is that they've set up a partnership with a number of hospitals around the world to provide face masks for them. So for each purchase that is placed with Lucid FC, they will donate four times the, the amount of masks that you bought to health officers, healthcare workers around the world. So you can be sure that while you're protecting yourself, you're also protecting other people, which is fantastic. Uh, you can get free shipping with them through DSS. If you just enter shipping code DSS at checkout, you can get free shipping. Um, and you can also pick up curbside if you want from their studio in Buckhead. If you want to do that, just uh, on your order, choose pickup and not shipping. And it's as easy as that. So with that out of the way, let's get into the rest of the show. Wow. What another stunning ad read, Joe Patrick. Just top tier. Incredible. I have a buddy who uh, refers to it as Joe Patrick ASMR when you're doing these ad reads. <laughs> um, so I hope that people have also kind of taken to that as well. Um, the people, I'm speaking of them. Yeah, you should be. Um, speaking of them, uh, they had a whole bunch of questions, of course, obviously. Uh, probably the most questions we've had in a while. But anything. Um, so we're going to try to run through all of them. I think we're already kind of going kind of long on this, but it's, it's, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to, to lose your manager in the middle of whatever season we're in. Um, which I do want to make one more point about. Now that I think about it is that this was probably Frank's last year. Anyways, way probably like yeah. in general, like if he, even if they win MLS cup, you know, it's probably very similar to Tata that at that point he moves on and actually goes to a better club. Isn't that amazing? Like he was like a Nick DeLeon goal away from going to a better club and then probably having his entire career be over from a head coaching perspective. Do you know how many people you just pissed off when you said going to a better club? Because, <laughs> because uh. when, 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 when talking about the new manager, when talking about the new manager, obviously Pochettino has been brought up a million times <laughs> and it's like I'm try. I put out a tweet like just telling people to be realistic or whatever, and not saying everybody, but at least one or two people were like adamant that Atlanta United mm-hmm. is no less of a deal than Bayern. Yeah, <laughs> with a gif of Mercedes-Benz Stadium going crazy after a goal. Ah, uh-huh. okay, guys. As, ev- as evidence. Sure. Listen, love Atlanta United. We have to understand <laughs> that Atlanta United <laughs> is not. As the same tier as some of these teams. And people will say like, but Tata, but remember where Tata was coming from, you know, uh, right. he had, he'd, he'd just taken a nice like spiritual yogi trip after, you know, getting ousted from Argentina. So, you know, <laughs> he was soul searching and his soul found Atlanta. Thank God. Um, anyway. All right. Let's get to these. Um, we're going to go through pretty much all of them. I think, um, even if we have kind of touched on it, uh, cause we're here for you guys. We're here for you guys in this, these strange, strange times. Um, this one comes from Arthur Balin. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I don't care. Uh, Parky probably wouldn't be a good candidate for new manager, but do you see a place for him and the new admin as support staff? I don't know, man. Parky's going to be doing whatever he's going to be doing. He's going to be on podcast dropping quotes about just Martinez telling coaches to fuck off um <laughs> which is incredible it's and i've got to pull up that quote in a little bit but yeah Par- i don't know parky parky's parky man let parky live considering parkhurst moved to columbus about six weeks ago i mm-hmm. highly doubt he's going to be moving back anytime soon in order to be right. in order to fulfill a coaching role um but i would say jeff lorenowitz may be a different story 
I could foresee with how crazy this year has been, and I'm not sure I've not looked up how this would affect budget, etc., the MLS uh, salary budget. But what if he retired midseason and they made him a coach and they just said, we'll just give you the money that you were going to make as a player, as a coach. That mm-hmm. way you still are making the income that you were expecting. Mm-hmm. And that money gets removed from our budget. Maybe they personally like that. I love it. <laughs> this would be, this would be a dream come true content wise. So I'd be super. That would be, that would be a galaxy brain way of uh, trying to do some squad manipulation. I love it. I love it. I think we'll get into eventually who we think the actual interim is going to be in the caretaker. Uh, we'll touch on it in a second. Um, well, we might t- touch on it now. Uh, Jacob Austin asked, who's up next? Should I feel bad that I was literally dancing in between takes on set yesterday when I heard the news? Cool, sneaky plug that you're an actor or whatever. Thanks, Jacob. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get it. Um, no, kidding. That sounds awesome, actually. I'm very proud of you. Keep doing your thing, Jacob. Um, we'll get to who's up next, but should you feel bad? I don't think so, man. Um, I've kind of thought about it, too, as far as like how much. No, we don't mean to like Joe said, dance at anybody's grave or anything like that for by and large, Frank at the very least treated people. Well, even if unintentionally he upset them, you know, I don't think there's any malice in Frank's heart. I don't think Frank is a bad human in any way, you know, and this is someone losing their job. Um, but Frank DeBoer will be fine, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Frank DeBoer is very well set for life. I promise you. Um, and as much as a bummer as this is, he still has plenty of things to look back on and be very, very proud of. And I'm sure, you know, in his headspace that he's doing just fine. Um, so don't feel too bad. Be excited for the future of the club and understand that these things happen in a very expensive business. I've been pretty open on our private Slack and our writer's room, um, that I'm quite excited about all this. Like, yeah, because it's, an, it's it's just like a exciting thing to follow uh, as a fan, as a journalist. You know, it's a new time. It's a new era. There's going to be um, there's going to be a different feel to this team. And that in and of itself is exciting whenever it happens. Um, it was even exciting to me when DeBoer got hired. I was just excited to kind of see how it was going to go. Uh, it was Absolutely. different and maybe not have been optimistic about about it, but it's still exciting. So I still feel that way. Um, and especially about with how bad the team has been, I, I definitely feel like it's even more so that there's, there's excitement about it being interesting, but there's also excitement about it potentially being you know better than it was. So I don't, I don't think that's wrong to feel that way at all. Cause you can, you know, we just need to, again, kind of segregate our feelings on that and versus like what we think about Frank generally. And I, when you were saying that it did bring, bring up another kind of just like a classic, um, way that frank thinks last year he was asked i think doug asked him just like kind of jokingly like oh what do you think your transfer value would be um back in your prime uh like with nat- today's uh like with inflation how it is nowadays and he was like just straight up 60 million <laughs> <laughs> like he, he like rated himself as a 60 million pound fullback i mean and is- i remember i remember he said that i went yeah that sounds about right <laughs> yeah i mean like to be Honestly, fair yeah like yeah. if he was the, if he considered himself the best left back in the world, then that's probably true. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of funny that he like he he didn't say it jokingly. You know, he was not like chuckling about the question or he was just like very straight up. Yeah, no, he's probably Which right. It takes yeah. an odd kind of personality, I think, to like say it like that. Which brings me back to a thing that's really been kind of keeping me up for a while with Frank. 
Um, and uh, maybe I'll eventually you think, write. You, you think about him when you're trying to get when, to sleep at night? Exactly. It's the only thing I think about. He's the last face I think of before I fall asleep. Um, it has been for years. Um, the, the strange thing about all of this and, and something I will never maybe grasp and maybe, maybe I do understand it. I'm, I'm competitive. Like I want to do big things. I want to be great at what I do. Um, but Frank had already achieved so much, right? Yeah. He had already been a world-class player. He had already gotten to the peak of his sport as a player, right? He had won a bunch of things at Ajax. There were so few reasons for him to continue after, after Inter after crystal palace you know there were so few reasons for him to to come back and it really was just a pride thing at this point uh but at the same time his confidence was so shaken that you know it didn't it didn't really work here you know it it was probably never going to work here he just kind of had to keep burrowing himself down into this and from a human perspective it's hard to to grasp why you would keep doing it to yourself when you've already accomplished so much he could live a life of luxury and ease being a Sky Sports commentator, showing mm-hmm. up for Monday night football, giving his opinion, could travel to Monaco on the, you know, when he's not on the desk, when he's not working. He could his life could be so much easier than than he was making it. But yeah, you're right. I will never understand it, I don't think. Um I don't know. He could have just not. He could have just not. And so I don't know, maybe that's why I don't feel bad about like kind of digging into him a little bit is because he did actively like choose to, to dig, you know, instead of just hanging out and, and relaxing and all his accomplishments, which he earns, you know, I, I give him credit for it. Like, sure. Kudos to him for wanting to go out there and try, <laughs> man. I don't know. I'm going to wrestle with this for like another week and then maybe write something about it. Um, we'll get to the first part of Jacob's question that we've been avoiding for a while. Uh, who's up next? And it's, a great question. Um, and I think anyone who says they really have an idea is lying at this point. We just don't know. Um, and we'll, it'll be the same as would happen when Tata left. We'll eventually see names pop up and we'll freak out about them and we'll rate them and we'll be like, Carlos, Puyol, really? And then, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out what's real and what's, you know, been taken off a word generator and thrown together by some like Italian football site with Calcio in it. And we'll, we'll parse it out. But right now we don't know, but Joe Patrick, I'm sure has plenty of candidates. Go ahead, Joe. No, we've been asked about top five lists, top 10 lists for managers. And I I couldn't name you five. Like I couldn't, I don't, I don't have that many names. There's, I mean, there's so many candidates, first of all, Uh, how do you pare it down? Like what, uh, what criteria are you using to do that? The one to me that makes the most sense is Gabriel Einza. He was mm-hmm. a um, he just managed Velez. That was his most recent appointment. He is not in a job currently. That's the big thing. He is not currently employed. So he just let his Velez contract run down. Of course, they wanted to extend him. He got them into a top three finish in Argentina, which is you know pretty much as good as anyone could expect Velez, a team like Velez to do. They're a solid team, but again, completely under-resourced when compared mm-hmm. to River Plate and Boca. So, tremendous success there. Still very early in his managerial career. He's, his first year in management was 2015. He was a recent player. He played for huge clubs like Manchester United, Real Madrid, PSG, Roma. He's a Newell's old, old boy product and played for Newell's. Um, came through their academy and started his professional career there. 
So I think he ticks a lot of boxes in terms of the kinds of things that would, the way he would fit into an already established culture here in Atlanta United, the things that he brings to the game. He, he wants to play, honestly, a, a kind of a similar setup to what Frank DeBoer kind of envisioned. The difference was that Frank DeBoer was never able to convey the instructions to the players to allow them to carry out whatever he had envisioned in his mind. Gabriel Einza, in a, admittedly a short track record, has established the fact that he's a, able to, at least in Argentina with the teams that he's managed, is able to get his players playing in a way that is attractive, that is up-tempo. Um, it is a three at the back sometimes. <laughs> it is a three-four-three three sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because it works and he is pragmatic and he will, he seems willing to adjust uh, the team shape to the players he has as has at his disposal um, in order to get results and and also play a very attractive style. So I think that he is a extremely realistic. I mean, the only unrealistic part about it is that he might say, no, I want to go to some team in Europe. I want to go to Sevilla, you know, or something like that. Like he he despite the fact that he's a, a young manager, I, I think his his prospects are very high. Um, some people might say it's a risk considering he's only been in management for about five years now. But I think that he's a guy that um, could have reap great dividends uh, for Atlanta United. So I, I would say he's the one I'm most excited about. And he's just kind of the one I'm going to focus on. Of course, there's a ton of others. Miguel Herrera, Club America, um, Piojo, as he's known. Um, just a crazy madman that would be really fun. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann is another guy that people are scared oh, to God. death that Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels are going to hire. I just um, like, I, I felt horrible things happening like internally yeah. in my organs when you said that. <laughs> um, cause I, I got it. People, one of the comparisons people made for Frank was Klinsmann, you know? And so I just don't, I just don't need that in my life. I really don't. There's, um, honestly, it's kind of like, of the South American coaches, there aren't that many that seem like they would be completely unattainable. A lot of people have mentioned Marcelo Gallardo from River Plate. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's very realistic. A lot of people seem to think he is, um, especially because like, oh, he would want to come and manage Pitti again. And um, <laughs> and he was he what? was linked to the Inter-Miami job, although he never took it. So who knows how strong those links actually were. Um, but I just don't I don't see him as realistic. I, I guess in theory he could be. But it's harder for me to know what European managers would be interested in, in this job. Uh, and I haven't gone through a list of any that are like out of work right now and looking for a job. So um, I've mainly been focused on Gabriel Einza. I, I, I obviously clearly, by the way I described, it, I think he would be a really perfect fit here. Well, uh, that's exciting to me. Just kind of your description of him. And it seems like someone who would be refreshing and, you know, engaging at the very least. He's also extremely handsome. Okay, I'm sold. Then let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go toe to toe with Montreal he's, for for he's, the MLS. He's like most. he's like most interesting man in the world, handsome. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. I'm here for this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um. No, that, like I said, that's just exciting on a just a refreshing kind of level. Because like, that's kind of what I want from this, right? Like if it's just another clout signing, I don't know. It's gonna be kind of a bummer. <laughs> I think honestly, um, would, would love someone just who's interesting and engaging, of course, obviously. Um, and that kind of matches the ethos of the club a little bit, which brings me back to Matias Almeida. I don't know. I'm just going to keep pushing that. Cause I think it's funny. <laughs> well, w- one thing I think that the club needs to really be focused on in this hire 
Uh, well, a couple things. One I mentioned on Twitter was that they need to hire a pragmatist, someone who's like going to not necessarily be so um, such a hardliner for playing a certain formation or or whatever, but just someone that will be willing to adapt and give players clear roles, clear instructions that those players can fulfill. So that's one thing. But I think the other thing that's really important for this hire is that they make sure that whoever they bring in is somebody who really, really like wants to be here and is invested in this project at Atlanta United. I never got the sense from Frank that he was. I mean, I think I Frank obviously wanted to have success here, and I think that he wanted to use that success to kind of vault him to other places. But you look at a guy like Tata Martino. Tata Martino called Darren Eels and said, Yep. I want to be your manager. And he, you know, and he was invested. He had the whole, he had the league scouted. You know, we've heard the stories about him using the salt shakers on the table, talking to tactics. <laughs> like he knew he had a vision for what he wanted to build. And I think like you need that kind of investment. You see it in, in Matias Almeida. He is completely invested in San Jose. He had opportunities mm-hmm. to leave this offseason. He was like, no, I have a, I have a job. I have a project I'm working on right now. Um, that's the kind of manager, that's the kind of mindset you want in somebody. You don't want somebody, you don't want to necessarily have to lure somebody with some insane amount of money because that only goes so far. One of the things I've mentioned probably 400 times on this podcast, but I keep bringing it up because it's such a stark representation of of these people as managers and their attitudes coming into it. Tata is like binders full of soccer players. Shout out to Romney when he came in was incredible, right? Like, like you said, he was scouting already. And then Frank comes in and is like, I've never watched MLS. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> um, sounds great. Here we go. And then he never watched MLS ever again, I don't think, except for when his team was losing. So cool, Frank. Awesome, man. And I don't know, but you're right. You it's, need someone who comes in with binders full of soccer players. It seemed like a chore for Frank, you know, like to... They just it seemed like they have had a different mindset on the job. Exactly. Which kind of gets brings me back to the thing where like he didn't have to be doing this. And I think he started to maybe realize that eventually like he knew this was just a save face pride kind of thing. And at that point, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to be intrinsically motivated, I guess, when you're just kind of beaten and broken and you're Henry Winkler's character in the water boy. <laughs> um <laughs> Playing the hits today. I like it. Um, let's move on to we have a question from Teotl Football um, who asks, is Boca Ooh. safe? Is Boca safe? Boca is safer now. Yes. But again, this is this is the front office's last chance to do this right. I think um, at least in the court of public opinion. I don't know what Arthur thinks. Um, Arthur has shown a tendency to defer to the soccer people, you know, which is incredible on him, which is a sign of a good ma- or good owner, honestly. Um, where they can step back and admit that they don't know everything about the entire sport. Um, and that's been successful in a lot of ways for Atlanta United so far, but um, this is their last chance for us as fans. I think um, there were already people who were like, get Boca's ass out of here too, um, which mm-hmm. I don't, <sighs> they make these decisions as a group guys. I don't know. I, I, I've never quite understood exactly what Boca does as far as making crucial prospect decisions he's always seen more of a he's the recruiting coordinator to make our first college football reference 55 minutes in um <laughs> you know he he can bring guys in domestically and that's kind of always been his entire shtick everything else has been a group effort i mean yeah i think that boca negra obviously you know there's there's enough blame to go around with how this is kind of 
capitulated here, uh, especially, you know, this year in 2020. Uh, but I think you're right. Uh, I, I don't need to elaborate on this too much in that, you know, every GM is to an extent going to be protected, kind of buffered by the manager. And you kind of get that one strike where when things go wrong, you kind of have the manager. But if, if the same problems continue to exist and the roster seems to be getting noticeably, you know, less talented, mm-hmm. then I think you got to, you know, people will start to be held accountable. There you go. Which is a bummer, you know, um, and we don't want to see that at all. We want this team to win. We want this team to be yeah, fun. Yeah, that might not be the way it goes, you know. No. It's not, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we love Darren and we love all those people and we want them to, to be successful too. Um, but again, it kind of gets back to the thing. They got to get back to the the original ethos, right? They got to get back to, to what worked and, and not some inflated idea that's like a, a delusion of grandeur almost, you know. Just get back to what works. Let, let's let's get back to basics here. Um, his student has asked. Uh, <laughs> that was. The, I just totally read that without even thinking of like the the. Please cut this. Um, <laughs> what position do we need the most, and why is it the six? Um, is it? Is it? I don't know. God, there's so many problems right now. I think they need more talented I, players in a lot of places. I don't know if it's just a holding midfielder. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing. They're, they're still trying to figure out how to play without Darlington Nagby. So, and he was kind of in that role. I don't know if, uh, a different player in that role necessarily fixes the problem. Maybe they already have the players there. They just need different tactical, tactical instructions. Um, but personally, I think they could use a, a midfielder for sure. Uh, I, I think that you just look at the players that you have available to play there. You've got Jeff Lorenowitz. Eric Rometty, Emerson Hyman, and Mo Adams. And that's about it. You pretty much have four central midfielders. One of those guys is 36. One of those guys is Mo Adams, who is a journeyman, like, you know, just like a, a kind of a, a, a an up and comer, but clearly not a guy who's like a top, top prospect. Maybe I think Mo has the chance to develop into a really solid MLS player. And I think he already can provide a role for the team. Eric Rometty is a really interesting one. He was... To me, he was out of shape. He was not fit in this tournament. Um, I think some guys with the whole COVID hiatus, they took it one way or or they went one way or the other. Um, there are some players that got in some of the best shape of their life, Mo <laughs> Adams being one of them. I think Eric Rometty was not one of those guys. Mm-hmm. I think Ezekiel Barco was not one of those guys either. I think that that really kind of um, hindered their own abilities to to help Atlanta United in this tournament. And, you know, ho- hopefully they can, they can get themselves right. Um, and then Emerson Hyman, I think we all kind of understand he needs to be playing higher up the field. He's not going to be one of those deep lying playmakers, I think, that's going to do the kinds of things that Darlington Nagby did. So um, I think they could use someone in that position personally, but it's not necessarily like you just bring somebody in. They're going to solve all the problems. That person might be might be Jonathan Gonzalez uh, from Monterey. A uh, younger guy who's just kind of been pushed down on the depth chart, it seems like. A uh, team sheet, depth chart, whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, that, that's a rumor. Keep an eye out for it. We don't he, know a lot about him yet. He's a dual national. He famously made a decision to play for Mexico over uh, the United States and got, got capped for Mexico uh, at an early age. I think he was only 17 years old or something. And um, that was probably like the high point of his career at one point. He was like a 17-year-old prospect and... Uh, I know clubs in Germany were sniffing around him and uh, he's kind of gone downhill since then, but I still a promising player. And I think he's a really 
good fit for Atlanta United. And I think if he does come, I think you're most likely to see him come in on loan because I don't see why Monterey would want to part with a guy who still has a lot of potential at this point. Let's we'll see. Let's we'll see that. I think Twelman kind of put that rumor out there, and so we're kind of waiting to see if that comes to fruition. Twelman also mentioned that there were more moves potentially coming, um, but I never quite know how much to take Taylor Twelman at his word. So there we go. That's all I'll say about that. Um, Andrew Hathaway and Payson both kind of had similar questions. Um, Andrew asked about S- Stephen Glass's tactics, and Payson asked about. Steam glasses tactics as well, just in different ways. Good work, guys. Um, so <laughs> I'm being snarky with the questioners today. I don't know why. I love all of y'all. Thank y'all for listening. Um, so to get to this, we kind of mentioned before, but uh, glass is going to be the interim, it seems like, right? We don't have that confirmed yet, yeah. but glass is going to yep. be the caretaker. He was at the Atlanta United 2 game last night, obviously traveling with the team to manage them in Charleston, then all of a sudden was sitting in the stands during the game while the assistant coach, Henry Appaloo, coached the team. So, hell, they may have announced it by the time, you know, while we've been doing this podcast. I don't even know, but I, I would expect that announcement to come down pretty soon. Question then is, how does the team change at this point? You know, what kind of shifts does he make? Yeah, uh, you know, I've probably spent more time around Glassy than probably any of the Atlanta media mm-hmm. just because no, no media really has an incentive to cover Atlanta United too. And I just feel bad for the people who work there for mm-hmm. like the communications people who work for Atlanta United too. So no, but I also have an interest in the team for sure. And uh, it's just, I understand why it's hard for them to get coverage. All that to say, I've talked to glassy a decent amount over the last year or so. And um, tactically, I think what to expect from him you know, the formation, I don't know for sure, but I would expect it to probably be like a 4-3-3, What you're going to get from Glass is a team that is has very simple instructions that, like you know, <laughs> he, he will let pity do pity things. He will defend. Um, he, he won't have as many like interchanging parts. This very uh, nebulous idea of how the team should operate and like this. He won't do a lot of that. He will be very straightforward with his instructions and he's a motivator. You know, he's a, he's a Newcastle guy. He's a, he's a, he's a Scottish guy. He will get this team, I think motivated and they do know him. Um, a lot of people have asked like, why bring in uh, Steven glass when he's with Atlanta United too. He's not working with the first team players. He does. He has worked with them from time to time. I think in preseason he's, he's helped out with first team training, Um, So he does the players would know who he is and, you know, they would have a relationship of some sort. So it's not like a totally fresh face coming in. Works for me. Sounds fun. I don't know. Let's let's make it simpler. See what happens. Let's see. Uh, Next question comes from Eberhardt Creative. Uh, ask how common is it to have players walk off the training ground in MLS and other leagues? Uh, The answer is not, which (laughs) should tell you a lot right there. I I don't think we need to keep you know, dragging that one through the mud, but, uh, that's bad. That's bad when it happens multiple times. There's a reason he's gone. There we go. You have some insight on this, don't you? You have a, a parky parky mentioned something about this. I thought that was a quote that you had. You, you had dropped it in our writer's. Ah, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier in the show where he's talking about, uh, Joseph Martinez, uh, being the, he's never seen someone tell a coach to fuck off like Joseph Martinez has. Um, so there's apparently some vitriol there too. Um, so there you go. Thank you, Parky. <laughs> um, but gosh, yeah. I mean, even with PT doing it though, and, and PT was a guy who had talked about like rededicating himself 
you know, and all that kind of thing. And when you lose, when you lose the person listening to self-help podcast 24 <laughs> seven, you've made a dire mistake. Um, we're, we've kind of gotten to the point where we've, we've addressed a lot of these. Uh, oh, no, there's a good question. And I saw it from Alexandria Andrea Seaborn, um, who asked, how much influence did DeBoer have on the players who left and the players who came in? And I, it's a really great question that I'm not sure we'll ever know the answer to. Um, but I would say that I think um, there's, a, there's a part of me that thinks they tried to meet in the middle on this, the front office and Frank and it ended up just being a bunch of players who were versatile and not very good at soccer. Uh, I don't get the impression that he, well, I, okay. I think you are probably right with the players that came in during the off season. Mm-hmm. I have not gotten the impression that he knows all that much about Jurgen Dam. And I don't get the impression that he knew much of anything about Eric Lopez, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. When he was asked, Doug asked him finally after Doug was kept on asking him about Eric Lopez when it was rumored. And obviously he was just saying he can't talk about players and stuff like that. Then once the deal was done, Doug was like, all right, so now what can you tell us about Eric Lopez? And uh, and he was like, well, he's very small. And he's like, wait, that's the first thing you mentioned is that he's small. He's not even small. Like he's actually kind of tall. <laughs> I would say he's, I would say he's like surprisingly big Eric Lopez like just he's kind of like Miguel Almiron like um, for the position he plays he's kind of like lanky kind mm-hmm. of you know kind of wiry framed um, so just the fact that he would say the first thing he would say about him is that he's small was just a it struck me as like how much do you know about this guy because like if he was a, if it was a to me if the coach had been scouting this guy and wanted this guy and been watching a lot of tape on him, he'd be like, well, he's, he can be a great inside forward for us. And I think he can like, like that's the first thing you would say, not that he's <laughs> physically, he physically appears small, which he is not. So that's fascinating take that for what it's worth. Huh. Man, <laughs> did he know any of the, <laughs> odds that he knew every player's name i'm I'm genuinely serious like odds that he knew every player's name hey you yep dude hey you you're going in you're going in for man (laughs) just uh, freaking michael scott and and soccer track uniforms i can't get over it um we we pretty much i mean everyone else is pretty much asking the same questions we've already kind of touched on uh, about glass about boca um and, and the problems are clear for this team and now now we now starts the healing now we have to come together and really just like rally around each other and hope we get okay by the end of this um it could be a process you know it's not going to change on a dime um and it's going to be interesting to see who's in who's out this off season uh, because there needs to be major changes um but as long as the front office is recognizing that then i think you have to trust them we'll see We'll see. Uh, Joe, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? No, honestly, no. I've spilled everything. Spilled my guts here. Yeah, I think the folks turning in for like a Bash Frank session were, they missed that. It was the last show. (laughs) (laughs) It was the last show where we called all of this. If you have not heard the last show, still relevant, still very relevant. So go back and listen to that one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Everything else is is pretty out in the open at this point. Um, And uh, the conclusions seem to be Largely unanimous, except for a few small pockets that are clamoring for more time for Frank. Well, it's it's over now. It's not getting it. Um, so, congrats to the DeBoer out account. Um, you did it, man. You did it. We're all very <laughs> proud of you. Uh, <laughs> oh, 
So not a DSS affiliated account, by the not way. A, yeah, someone was but like, I know, Sam, "I know Sam wishes it was." Yeah, Sam, Sam wants us to get that person on staff. It's the only parody <laughs> account any of y'all have ever created that it's actually had any sense of comedic timing, um, and I respect that deeply, deeply. Um, so good work, man. Good work, um, Joe. Crank up the Julian Baker. We'll be sad one more time, and then we'll we'll get on to happier days. Good things coming, y'all. Bye. Threw my head into his chest I think we did our best But now we must make good on words to God Answered with a weary breath No need to say the rest I fear that we've been lost here for too long